This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Well, good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Uh, If you're home or if you're uh, not driving and you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn over to Colossians chapter 2 and look at verses 1 through 7. And while you're getting that ready, I want to uh, let you know that I I do a a lot of things, not just preaching here at North Valley, but I uh, direct a workshop up at the Copper Basin Bible Camp just outside of Prescott, Arizona. And um, it's a workshop, it's called the uh, Tackling the Text. Uh, we are in our eighth year. Obviously, last year we didn't have a workshop because of the virus. Uh, this year, everything's looking good. We're going to get that put together. And we study through a book of the Bible. Guy Orbison Jr. puts together a, a full-fledged commentary, printed out. Everyone who comes gets the commentary. We work through the letter Questions get asked, comments, and a thorough, so that we all have a thorough understanding. It is a great time to disconnect from the world, especially nowadays. It's a great way to get away, not think about that, and dive deep into the awesome things of God. And the letter of Philippians, yes, the the letter of joy, right? This is this is what we need. And so I want to encourage all my listeners, if you're listening right now please go to our website, tacklingthetext.com, tacklingthetext.com, and you'll find information about the workshop. You can register to go to the, the workshop. It's in November, so we got a long time, but you can register now. You don't have to pay now. It's, it's $50 per person. It lasts uh, starts Thursday uh, evening-ish around 4.30, 5.30. We, we provide you with dinner Thursday night. You get three lessons out of Philippians. You have a place to stay, to sleep. All you need to do is bring a sleeping bag, a blanket, or a pillow. They're nice, warm places. Then in the morning, we provide you with breakfast. We have more on Philippians. We have a guest speaker also to kind of break things up. We're going to give you free time to explore the the camp, and we have 80 acres and plenty of places to, to walk around. Or if you want to go to downtown Prescott, you can do that during free time, about three hours. We give you lunch. We give you dinner. There's plenty of snacks, plenty of drinks, great time to, to converse and meet with folks. And, and then uh, Friday night, uh, we end it around 8.30, 8.45. You can stay the night. It's over At that point, the, the workshop's over. But we let you stay another night if you want. If you don't want to go home and go in the morning, you can do that. And it's it's just a great time to get together and, and meet uh, like-minded folks, study God's Word. So I encourage you, again, go to our website, tacklingthetext.com, and we're going to tackle the text of Colossians right now. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, Paul writes this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, 
that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Wow. Paul's entire ministry is concerned with the eternal welfare of people. This is, this is why he does whatever he does in the preaching of the word of God, of the gospel. You would expect then, from Paul's attitude toward his work, that if there were congregations or churches wavering from the gospel or being threatened with false teaching, that he would have anxious longings about them. Since there is a doctrinal threat, they're in the Lycus Valley. The Lycus Valley is where the Colossian church and the Laodicean church is. Paul, since there's that threat, Paul is going to voice his concern over the situation of what's going on there. And he says that right there in that first verse, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. Struggle. That word struggle, agona, is a form of the same word that, that we use in our English to make agonize. We, we agonize over something, right? And so he is specifying this strain of his for his readers in their present situation. They're being troubled by these Judaizers. Judaizers are, are those who were coming up after Paul you know, when he was on his missionary journeys. Remember that? And these Judaizers were folks who said, Oh, man, Paul is not preaching to you the full gospel. He left out that you need to be circumcised. He left out that you have to obey certain aspects of the law or traditions that we set forth. Now, they, don't, they didn't say it like that, but that's what they were saying, which was wrong, false teaching. So Paul struggles. He's straining. He's agonizing over them. And this involves his prayers. It involves him sending Epaphras and Timothy. And by the thoughts presented in this letter, he is anxious for these Christians. His soul is in this perpetual distress concerning both the Colossians and the Laodiceans. And out of this struggle, there are three areas of concern that he has for the churches. Here's the first one in verses 2 and 3. That they have confidence in Christ. Now, the verse starts off, you know, uh, there in verse 2. I mean, look at my... That their hearts may be encouraged and whatnot. But I want to skip that and look first at having been knit together in love. I think this is important that we see this, and then we'll go back and look at that. Love is what holds a church together. It's like the joints and the ligaments joining the various body parts. It is the definitive quality of Christianity. Disciples are attached to one another. Not because we share any kind of earthly interest, but because of love, uh, uh, putting 
it's an informational love that, that putting the need of others above your own, you choose to do this. And Paul considers this to be a source of strength. The threat of false teaching should find a formidable foe when it attacks a church because of the unity of the body. So Paul wants to encourage these Christians that their hearts may be encouraged. See, now we're going back. He wants them to make use of the great resources available to them, which will enable them to withstand the dangers of false teaching. And and there's two things there in verse verse 2 that start with attaining to, or maybe your translation says unto or, or into or whatnot, whatnot, but it's attaining to. And the first one is attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Now, this is talking about conviction. When you have an accurate, a full understanding of the will of God, you'll develop a kind of conviction, a kind of assurance that cannot be intimidated. Without understanding, you might doubt uh, that what you profess, profess is right especially when confronted with a, a, a persuasive argument, as Paul puts it in verse 4. You know, a persuasive argument that sounds good, but it's really false. An example of this is that I'm sure everyone out there, I hope everyone out there, has a conviction that you uh, might be your knowledge that the earth is round. you got a conviction of that. You have full assurance of that. You have full understanding of that about this. And you could never be deluded into thinking that the earth is flat. Now, I know there's some out there that do. In my mind, that, that's deluded thinking. They don't have full assurance. They don't have understanding. They're missing the facts. And, and this is the kind of understanding Paul wants for his readers. A full assurance so sure that you know no one could delude you of those facts. Attending to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Number two, attaining to a true knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. This is very similar to the first phrase, right? Carrying virtually the same concept. It it further explains that previous statement. Full assurance comes from understanding. Understanding is true knowledge. This true knowledge is God's mystery. And God's mystery consists of or is summed up in Christ. The mystery was how he was going to bring salvation to man. But we know that mystery. Now it's been revealed to us in Christ, in the Son. And Paul isn't through yet. No, he's got more to say. He doesn't stop. He further explains that in Christ, verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. (coughs) Excuse me. I get a drink of water there. So in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That word treasure points us to value, which is the opposite of what the false teachers offer, which has no value. Yet they present their doctrine as if it had greater importance than what the Christians already possessed. So Paul wants these brothers to know that they are already wealthy and merely need to draw on the immense wealth that is available to them. If one has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in their relationship with Christ, then what else could someone offer to move us forward spiritually? If one already has all the treasures, then whatever is being offered is not treasure, right? But the treasure is hidden away in Christ. 
Just as you need a dig to find gold or dig to find diamonds, the Christian must open the treasure chest to bring out its riches. Only when we come to know Christ through a study of God's word will we come to understand all that God is doing in him. So by knowing Christ, we what? Gain the insight. We gain the knowledge that we need concerning life. So valuable are these things to us that even the wealthiest billionaire on earth, right now it's Elon Musk, $127 billion, that's what he's worth. Well, he's, he, he resembles a pauper, a nobody, a, you know, a poor man in comparison to who possesses that kind of truth that we find in the Word of God. Possessing the wisdom and the knowledge of God makes us the richest people on earth. And here's the best part. It is available to everyone. It is available to all of us. Everything that is of real value is to be found in Christ. The more we dig into the word, the richer we become. We will never, ever, ever exhaust the wealth that is to be found right there in the word. Our confidence is not in this world. Our confidence is in Christ. And so that brings us to point number two, that no one delude them, verses four through five. So because of uh, Paul's struggles in behalf of the Colossians, he must warn them now at a distance. So he says there in verse four, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. Persuasive argument. Now, that, that Greek word for that is found only here in our New Testament, and it literally means enticing words and is often found in the context of law courts. It's, used, it's the term that's used for the persuasive power of lawyers' arguments that would allow a, a known criminal to escape his just punishment because they use those enticing words, right? So Paul, as Paul uses the word here, it refers to a way of speaking that's going to draw people into the error that is being promoted. The false teachers make their doctrine sound plausible. On the surface, it sounds reasonable. It's kind of like that smooth uh, uh, talking that can convince people to accept a new way of thinking. It, it makes me think of the way Satan worked with Eve. He told her things that sounded right. He told her things that, that really pulled on the desires that were already in her heart to go against that one command that God gave her. And millions of people today swallow the lies of modern-day preachers. It, it, it escapes them of the truth. You can uh, Those who are subject to give in, giving in to that kind of persuasive argument are those who do not possess full assurance, right? They do not possess understanding. It is difficult to delude somebody who knows that they have the truth. You cannot sell a bogus gold mine to someone who is already pulling all the gold they can carry out of their own gold mine, right? Usually, and it is only those who are spiritually impoverished who will buy into the bill of goods promoted by, smooth, by some smooth-talking preacher. Christians already own a gold mine, but unfortunately, m many refuse to work it. 
they're like the they're like the couch potatoes who are easily influenced by some get rich quick scheme. If they are if they were hard working or hard at work in the gold mine, they would never fall for such alluring presentations. Lazy Christians are vulnerable to any unprincipled preacher who might come along offering them some easy way or or more comfortable way of doing Christianity. It is easier for them to accept the use of the instruments in worship. It sounds right, and so many religious employ them. They are willing to allow women in the pulpit to preach because some professors made his argument sound so scholarly and reasonable. They swallow all kinds of doctrines because of the persuasive argument. But in accepting that, they have let go of all truth. Not good. Paul, of course, is someone who has worked hard. He's worked very hard and and found the treasures of, of wisdom and the treasures of knowledge. And if he were in Colossae, he would easily dispense with the super salesmen. But the Colossian Christians are not as far along as Paul is. So his struggle for them is due to this ever-present danger of their accepting what is false. Verse 5 says, For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit. You could say Paul is a little tied up, right? He's arrested and in prison in Rome. That's where he's at. Physically, he cannot come to them. Yet, he is there in spirit. In a real sense, uh, it is this letter that brings the spirit of Paul to them. Here is Paul's, you know, you could say true person revealed in his words. Here is Paul's thinking on the dangers that are plaguing the church. Here is Paul's answer to the persuasive arguments that are being presented. And so this letter is what Paul would say if he was physically with them. So since since he is there in a spiritual sense, he can actually see what's going on and knows how to instruct them. So he is, verse 5, Rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Now, this ability to see was given to him by Epaphras, who because uh, who became, I'm sorry, the eyes of Paul, and who has reported the dangers confronting the church. He's also apparently reported something about their faith. So, although Paul has concern for them. He rejoices because of what he knows about them. Even in the face of danger, Paul can rejoice because he sees something about them that will get them through these problems if they do not back off from it. What makes him rejoice is that discipline and stability of their faith in Christ. Now, those two words, discipline and stability, those are military terms. Discipline means order as opposed to disorder. You know, those who walk disorderly are those that would be out of rank, out of ranks or out of step. The word stability, again, this is only found here in our New Testaments in the Greek, but it means firmness. 
and it, it signifies something that it's solid. You can't move this. It's solid. If you, it won't budge. It's the kind of like the foundation of a building. And in using these terms, Paul is confident that these brothers have the strength to endure the present crisis. They have good order. They have good discipline of faith. Their ranks have not been broken. And their faith is firm, hard, solid, so that it is not easily penetrated by false teaching. Their confidence in Christ has kept them from being deluded in mind so that, here's point number three, so that they keep walking in union with Christ. This is chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So here, Paul is now bringing his thoughts to this climax in verse 6 when he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Received. Received. Meaning they already have it. If someone has received Christ, then they have received the full effect of his work in salvation, and they need nothing else that these newer teachers supposedly offer. All that is necessary for those who have received Christ is that they continue in him. So Paul writes, so walk in him. To walk presents that familiar biblical image, doesn't it? That image of a life journey toward a destination. In him means in connection with Christ. When we were outside of Christ, we lived our lives as we pleased. But now, now, we are in him. And we have given ourselves to him. And he now directs our course in life. Now, look look again at verse 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. If we received him, if we received Christ, these four things we just read there in verse 7, these four things should be true of us. They should be true of us. Here's the first one. We ought to be firmly rooted in him. That indicates two things. Number one, a previous state that continues in the present, so it reaches back to the moment when we came into a relationship with Christ. And second, and that would be baptism. And then second, as more passive, um, it was not there, it was not our doing. We did not root ourselves, but rather we were firmly planted in Christ by God. We were baptized in Christ, and then God added us to the church, just like in Acts chapter 2. If rooted in Christ, then we should receive our nourishment from Christ, just like he is the true vine, we're the branches. We get everything we need from him so that we may produce the fruit of Christ. Number two, we ought to be built up in him. Built up in him. This means a continual action done to us. In Christ, we are being built up. There is a spiritual growth, not because we have accomplished it, but because of something that is the natural result of where we are rooted. As a result of receiving Christ and continually walking in him, this kind of progress takes place. And number two, or number three, I'm sorry. So that's one, two, uh, three. We ought to be established in the faith. We ought to be established in the faith. This means, or that word confirm has the sense of a guarantee to it. 
and making it irrevocable. Faith is literally the faith. It refers to that objective system of beliefs given to us by God. You know, the faith once handed down to the saints, Jude 3. And one who is firm or a person who is established in this word of God cannot be moved from it. It's like that song we sing, just like a tree that's planted by the water. I cannot be moved. I'm getting everything I need from Christ. And then number four, we ought to be thankful. Thankful, meaning abounding and continuing to abound in thankfulness. People who have actually received Christ and are continually walking in him will naturally abound in gratitude for all that he has given them. So here, then, is this beautiful summary of Christianity in its purest form. Christianity that cannot be touched by erroneous teaching. When we really get to know Christ, when we dig deep into the mystery of God, finding that hidden wealth, when we are firmly established and complete in Christ, in He and us, then no one will ever be able to lead us away from Him. This is why Paul preaches the gospel. How awesome is that? Awesome. I love this passage. And I'm going to use this passage as a springboard into some more teaching I'm going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And there, uh, he, Peter is talking about three main things, but in the middle, he's talking about these qualities that ought to be in Christians, in us. And if they are, he ends it with saying, pretty much saying, look, if these are in you, you will never stumble. Do you struggle with, st- with that? Have you ever found yourself stumbling along in your walk with Christ? Well, if you have these things that you're, we find in 2 Peter chapter 2, you will never stumble if you continue in them and grow in them. Stumbling in the sense of falling into a trap, into a snare, falling away. It'll never happen as long as you continue in those qualities. So if you struggle with things, if you're finding yourself doubting and you're, you're struggling with the way that things are happening in this world, stick with this program Keep listening every Tuesday, 4 o'clock on KXXT, or find us online at www.nvcoc.net, and you will learn more about it. Join us. Be with us. And uh, I encourage you to join us back uh, coming up in November 4th, 5th, and 6th at the Tackling the Text Workshop. Go to www.tacklingthetext.com. Learn more about it. Register. And I hope you, you'll do that. Well, thank you for being here with me today. May the Lord bless you and keep you safe in these trying times. Thank you and goodbye. Sitting up to sweep away till shut on the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.